Welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable, and why our listeners think they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Christian and Alex Giebert. A Moment of Bach listener, Elise, has suggested the moment for today's episode, which comes from the Cum Sancto Spiritu chorus from the Mass in B minor. very first episode of A Moment of Bach, I talked about how the Mass in B minor was a formative experience for me with Bach and with music in general and with understanding music of the Baroque era. Just understanding music in general, I dove deep into this music. And even though I love it all, if I had to pick a favorite movement, it is this one. I've kind of been saving this and I've been wanting to talk about it for a while, but kind of serendipitously, we have a listener request about this movement. And so now's the time to talk about it. And oh man, are we lucky to have the Netherlands Bach Society always, but especially here. This is an amazing performance of this movement. There is so much energy. This is how it starts. A moment of Bach is all about these little moments that bring us so much joy. And that's why we love hearing these uh, these listener requests. A lot of times you listeners who write in, you don't just say, hey, talk about this one piece, but you zoom in on a moment too, and you tell us why it is your moment of Bach. And we love that. And here's one example of this. A listener, Elise, talked about this particular moment from the Cum Sancto Spiritu, the Amen after the first fugue. She says, I wanted to tell you about my favorite moment of Bach, the one that actually made me dive deep into Bach's music to the point that I cannot listen to anything else for now. This is a great story. She's watching a concert on YouTube in the background while she was making dinner, but the moment this music started, she had to stop. She says, something happened. The conductor, with his gestures and his face and his energy, made me understand the music, made me feel it. I just couldn't stop watching. I was intrigued. Christian, I think this goes back to some of the things we talked about in, in previous episodes, like with Dr. William Heidi, when we were talking about conducting these cantatas, yeah. and how the job of the conductor is not just to keep everything together and to know everything about the music, but is to inform the audience, uh, to embody the music for the audience, right? To to show the audience what the music is all about with your body language. Yes, it take, arguably it takes a little more work these days to get an audience invested in something like a performance of, of a Bach cantata or Mass in B minor. And the reason is because in Bach's time, his audience would have always been German speaking and understanding the Latin and also very fluent in the whatever theological themes were going on, of course. But now 
it takes more to connect with the audience, not in a bad way, uh, not in a good way or bad way, just it's just a, a simple truth, is that now it takes more work on the part of the audience to be invested. And that's where the conductor like this comes in handy because the conductor can really show a lot of nonverbal things that cannot be expressed uh, through program notes. And it can really get us emotionally invested in the music that we're listening to and watching. Yeah, I agree. And to that point, if you, listener, ever get the chance to see a performance of classical music in a concert hall and you get the chance to get those seats that are behind the conductor, sometimes it'll be like, you know, the spot where the choir usually sits or whatever, and they'll sell those seats at orchestral concerts or whatever. You should really go for that. I remember we got to do that at the Pacific Symphony here in Orange County a couple of times. Um, they, they would put the student rush tickets there. So it'd be like cheap student tickets, but they were, in my opinion, the best seats in the house because maybe the, maybe the acoustics weren't as perfect as being in the front orchestra seats, but these seats got you the full view of the conductor. And as a musician, that's exactly what I wanted. Yeah. And I could see, as a percussionist, I could see the percussionists who were like 10 feet away from me right there. I could see their music, like their part. I could see what they were doing. I'd see their markings that in their scores, you know, or in their parts. Uh, and I could see the conductor's cues better and his facial expression in, in this one particular uh, this one particular performance of Stravinsky's Petrushka, which was pretty formative for me. And it was great. And it was just seeing that close, you know. And I love this this comment here from our listener, Elise, talking about the conductor. And she did what a lot of people do when they latch on to some great musician and she she wanted more of this. So she says she found another performance that this conductor, whose name is Leonardo Garcia Alarcon, and she found another one of Alarcon's perform- Bach performances uh, near her and she went to go see it live. And, and she calls it mesmerizing. She saw the St. Matthew Passion um, directed by mm-hmm. him. So, I mean, it, it is, I mean, it, not to puff up the role of the conductor so much because now that Christian, you and I both have experience in this, we just we understand the, the complexity of it, I think. And it's, a lot of it is just embodying the music. You know, it's you you really don't don't have to have that person there. If you have professional musicians, they can handle it. But somebody really has to lead the rehearsing. You know, that's one big part. It depends, depends on a lot of factors. Yeah, yeah. It depends on how big the ensemble is and how big the audience is gonna be and and if, if that person is leading, if that if it's necessary for that person to lead. The Netherlands Bach Society, for example, sometimes has one and sometimes doesn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, nowadays, since there are, their main artistic director is the violinist, he's doing a lot of leading of things, including cantatas and stuff from the violin, which is actually a little bit more authentic uh, in terms of um, performance practice from the Baroque period. Uh, although when Maestro von Welthoven was the artistic director, he was also doing, even though he was conducting, which there might not have been a person standing up waving their arms in box time he was doing everything else extremely um, true to the performance practice of the day in the way that he uses that he used singers and instrumentalists and um, performance instruments in all of those heavy hitting videos that where they have uh, 
some of Bach's biggest and most famous works that have already been up for a few years on their on their YouTube. Mm-hmm. You know, the Passions and, and Mass in B minor and so on. Yeah. It's truly a gift to anybody that has an internet connection. It's truly a gift to all of us that these things are up there for free. So we come to the end of the first half of the concert here. And I say the concert because if you're seeing the Bach Mass in B minor, I mean, chances are there's nothing else programmed on this concert, you know, because <laughs> yeah. it's over two hours long usually. And then this is the last movement of the first half. This is the 12th movement. It actually is segues from a previous movement that had a horn solo and a bass solo. And then we come into to this wonderful closing of the first half. first half of the Mass in B minor is first the Kyrie, which is Lord have mercy, and then the rest of it, the longer amount of text, is Gloria in Excelsis Deo, which we visited in a previous episode, and uh, the rest of what's called the Gloria text, which ends with the words, with the Holy Spirit in the glory of God the Father, Amen. And the little context here is we're talking about Jesus Christ reigning in heaven with the Holy Spirit and the glory of God the Father. So at the beginning of this movement here, we get these flurries of fast notes and the words, with the Holy Spirit and the glory of God the Father. just sung so joyfully, just so unabashedly, happily. And on the word Father, Patris, we get these long notes, long, just like solid notes, you know, portraying God the Father. The energy in the room that is so apparent coming through really, really well done videography of this video. The energy in that room is just electrifying. It's just amazing. It's an amazing experience. Even just to watch the video, man, I wish I could have been there. (laughs) So the moment that our listener, Elise, has talked about here is after the first fugue, but let's hear a little bit of that first fugue so we can set ourselves up. We just had a beautiful cadence in the dominant key, by the way, which is pretty typical. We have an, we have a exposition of material, something happens, and it ends in what's called the dominant key. Uh, it won't end in the tonic key or the real key we're in until the very end of the piece. But this still sounds pretty amazing and final, this cadence, um, which is preceded by these wonderful little trumpet blasts. Okay, there goes the tenor and the beginning of a fugue here. The alto is about to jump in. Now there are two voices. 
The soprano one is about to come in with some higher notes. Now we have three voices going. Pretty quick here, the soprano twos and the basses will come in right around the same time. That one may have been a little harder to catch, but now there are five voices going. And they end on the word Amen. Flutes and oboes, strings, and then... Oh, that Amen, <laughs> you know? And we're used to hearing Amen as, as the last word, right, in a prayer or in a song or something. But in this, just like typical um, Baroque music, it repeats a bunch, you know, it repeats the words, Amen, cum sancto spiritu, in gloria dei patris. It keeps going around and around. So we hear the word Amen a few times. So that isn't a final Amen. The music continues, right? But what a joyful experience. This this is uh, another another little gem from Elise's experience, how she recounts this. She says, I think I was a little distracted because I remember that I instantly was struck by the power. I was feeling like it was pure joy coming into my ears. Joy, celebration, so much power. And when the conductor started singing with the choir, I was hypnotized, I was inside the music. This moment is pure pleasure. First, the end of the fugue, the recapitulation, calm, and then the big, huge amen. <laughs> so great. It's, a, it's an amazing moment. And I've always loved this little section that happens right after that. We get another big amen, and we get another long notes of Patris, and this is my favorite one of those. And listen to the bass just kind of step down as the soprano holds this high note. Yeah, that's a great moment there. What he does with with the chord structure there is just really neat. And let's listen to that again, and this time listen for the trumpets, which are playing these little ba-da-da-da-da figures up on top. Okay, we just ended that little phrase, and this time he jumps into the fugue again. This is the second of two fugal sections here. And this time it's like he just gets into it quicker. We we actually talked about this exact thing in the Etienne Terra Box episode. Remember this, Christian? He kind of sneakily gets us into the second fugue by alighting it with a cadence that had already happened. Yeah. Then in an even more bold sort of example here of squishing this together and making it take up less time, when the second voice comes in, the third comes in right after, then the fourth, then the fifth, boom, boom, boom. I just They're all in all of a sudden. And it happens right here. You'll hear soprano two, then alto, then bass, then tenor come in, just one right after the other. And the... the the quickness with which one follows the other. It's just one beat. Their beat is like this, cum sancto spiri, and so on. So you get this, bum bum, cum san, cum san, cum san, and it's just overlapping a really nice effect. So that that strong word, sancto, holy, is always pretty clear. Yes, good, 
good placement of syllables here on the Latin text. You know, Bach obviously German was his first language, and he sets German really well, like you would expect. Uh, but he's also very much understood Latin, and this was typical of the day. His his training would have included Latin. He knew a good amount of Latin. He knew a good amount of French and Italian. We know this from letters that he wrote and other things. And he totally understood how you should put Latin to rhythm in music. Because this stuff, when you sing it, it's it clearly works. And another thing is the word amen, amen, right? Which actually isn't Latin. It's the one word here that isn't Latin, right? Technically. Um, it's Hebrew, yeah. And the word amen, you also, when we say it in, in English, we might say amen and put this stress on the second syllable. And he does that a lot too, like at the very end of this movement. But here, in the moment that Elise talks about, we hear the big amen. And, it, and the men is a little softer and it's on a weak beat. And the singers in, in our example here do something really cool. And they, they kind of treat the ah as the big moment and the men as a soft moment. It's pretty cool. It's nice how the text is not uh, in a linear order and just happening once. That's true of a lot of a lot of compositions of the Baroque era, but in this in this movement, it's especially effective. Amen, cum sanctus spirito. Amen, in gloria dei patris. Like like you said, Alex, it's always cycling through, and that is a property of music that's very powerful. The fact that words do not have to be, or phrases, do not have to be necessarily in linear order, just as long as they still make sense and sound good. You can artfully repeat and reuse them. Yeah, and that's that just fits exactly what the style of this music is, you know, with its repetition and with its motivic, like, transformation in other words like each of these motives or these little themes get transformed and played around with by Bach he gets a lot of mileage out of each little bit of music here this is true for all of Bach's works every single one without any exception that I can think of except maybe some of those like more rhapsodic like um, toccatas and, and things like um, like the, the preludes and some of the stuff that's that's closer to the North German style of the hmm. Books to Huda before, or actually, I guess it's more of a Paco Bell thing, but like these these free compositions, right? But other than that, Bach always gets the most mileage he can out of a small amount of musical material by transforming it, by putting it in sequence, by flipping it, by putting it in canon, by taking th two or three little bits of musical material and mixing them up in all kinds of different ways. We can finally close out the piece with the last big vertical moment in Gloria Dei Pa. Ha, ha. Really long note there. Yeah, that's uh, my until favorite. We, uh, finally, have an amen, and then, and then finally, and then Bach holds out the amen from us until final, until the very end. This time, it's sandwiched in there in the parts, but for everyone to sing it together, it's going to be the very end. Right, and like I said before, 
that first um, big cadence in the piece that was ending on the dominant, we get that here in the tonic. So we get that, as you would expect, in a more final way here. The trumpet's a little lower here to accommodate the key. The timpani landing on the, the note D, which is what you'd expect in a big festive movement like this. You'd expect it to be in the key of D. And sure enough, it does end with a glorious D major cadence. So Alex, it never fails to amaze me just how many different aspects of a single Bach uh, work of music could be the trigger that inspires someone to get into Bach. For this Cum Sancto Spiritu, I've heard several things. You mentioned that it was your favorite part of the Mass in B minor, mm -hmm. just straight up. Our listener asked uh, in one of her questions, do you like Cum Sancto Spiritu? Yeah. Um, the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. It might be our favorite. Uh, it might be both of our favorites in the whole thing. Definitely Alex's. But I've heard from someone that what what gets them is the very beginning of this. I've heard the end. Now we're hearing the um, big amen in the middle. And I think for me, the first time, it was probably one of the fugues, the second fugue, which which is so different and, yeah, and just, um, impressive. Just and, unbelievably textured. Just, yeah. Yeah, could be just the power of the text. The nature of the transition from the previous bass solo into this one, those transitions are always really interesting when Bach prescribes them to be sudden. Um, do the instrumentation, like this might be people's introduction to Baroque trumpet and timpani, there's some of just the world's greatest trumpet line in here. Yeah. So there's all these different ways to approach it, and it, it never fails to amaze me how I wouldn't have even thought of a moment that touched someone else and I wouldn't have been able to guess all the different aspects of a movement like this chorus uh, that inspires people but that's the thing about Bach is that he was, he was operating on a lot of the levels at once and so he produced something that's quite complicated but cohesive and because of that we can always find something in there but that's only if we're looking then there's those people who have no experience at all who are hearing something for the first time which we all were at one point and what part of it is going to get us. And with Bach, I think it works for so many people because there's so much there's so much to get on the very first listen. There's always something to hear and I think that's why that's why Bach is long long lasting. Yeah. Replayability, right? Thank you once more to Elise for this this great email and suggestion. Um, she says she loves this so much now that she's going to go to Holland to see the Netherlands Box Society, <laughs> um, which we are jealous of the proximity there. And now, let's hear the moment between the two fugues. If this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of the Mass in B minor, please see the link in the episode description to hear the performance of the Mass in B minor by the Netherlands Bach Society.
If you want to hear our new episodes as we release them, find us on your podcast app, hit subscribe. And continue with letting us know what your favorite moments are, especially if we can make an episode out of them if they've been recorded by the Netherlands Box Society. And continuing in that same vein, next week I will present something that was requested by another listener, Dan. The moment comes from an organ work, O Mensch Bewein Dein Sinde Gross, and uh, there's something going on near the end, which anyone familiar with that organ piece already, you already know what it is. But if you don't, then just wait a week and you'll see. Until next time, enjoy those moments. Thank you.